Okay, so we are doubling down table stakes and killing, community, media content creation, and then AI. All right, I got it. Where do you want to go? Hey, hey, welcome to Marketing Against the Grain. I am your host, Kip Bodner, coming to you with a green smoothie in hand, about to drop some marketing knowledge. And as always, I am joined by my co-host. He wants to box you. He wants to (laughs) do breathing exercises. He wants to play chess, but I digress. He is the man who COVID could not even keep away from the podcast. He's back. He's better than ever. Kieran Flanagan. And I have my taste back, or some of it back. I had a salad that had jalapenos. I could kind of taste a little bit of the jalapenos. So let's go. I'm in a far better mood than the last time I did this. The other thing I was going to ask is, what have you got in your drink? I'm doing a herbal tea. You're doing a green smoothie. All right, Kieran. So you know, I got got this daily oatmeal thing I do. And when I'm really with it, I make it in a lovely overnight oats, which means you kind of put the the nut milk, my case, pistachio most of the time, and your oatmeal together. Overnight, it kind of softens up and you eat it for breakfast the next morning. It's disgusting, but it does help me feel amazing. <laughs> I didn't do that last night. And so when you're lazy and you don't do those things, you have to make it into a smoothie. And so I got kale, I got pear, I got almond milk, I got my vanilla oatmeal, I got all, all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff happening in my smoothie, but it's going to make me fired up for today's show. Before we get to today's show, let me tell you about HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you keep your customers happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at the networking event. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. It brings together service and success together on one platform with AI powered help desk and chat bots to handle your frontline support tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Let's go. I am a, an oatmeal fan, not a fan of overnight oats. I want to put it out there. They go kind of weird. Cinnamon, nutmeg, and ginger are the super ingredients you need to put into your oatmeal. So there's a little tip for people if they want to get fired up by their oatmeal. I have a rant. I have a great rant. And it's actually based upon two things you mentioned and nothing marketing related. First of all, the company that you talk to that does the overnight oats, of course, they do ship to Ireland. And this is kind of my quick rant. Shout out to Des Trainer, who's the co-founder. Of- <laughs> I saw this tweet. I saw this tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I almost trolled you, but I was like, oh, he's sick. I don't want to troll him by just retweeting Des Trainer. Go tell everybody about it. Des, great entrepreneur based in Ireland has all of these things he wishes he can get an eight sleep, same as me, Levels, Casper, all these different products. And I'm like, the one that I want to get, Kip, when you were young, how big of a part was cereal in your life? How excited were you by cereal? Was it just like a, a thing to have? Were you kind of a, a really cereal like fanatic? First of all, I'm offended that you don't think I'm young. <laughs> Second of all, I love cereal. Cereal's amazing, especially Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms for life. They're having a little trouble this week. <laughs> Not a good week for Lucky Charms. FYI, don't eat Lucky Charms out there right now. But Kieran, I think you might be talking about some cereal that I have at my house right now. Not Magic Spoon cereal. Oh, it's the Magic Spoon, baby. I've got it. You have Magic Spoon. Do you have Magic Spoon at your house? Yeah, my son and I eat it all the time. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe you. It just makes me feel even worse about my life. So Magic Spoon cereal 
When I was growing up, most kids would go down the aisle of the toy store and they're like, oh, like excitement, all of the different toys. Mm -hmm. That's the way I felt about cereal, like just a whole ocean of opportunities of cool things to have. You learn later in life that cereal is bad for you, but Magic Spoon make incredible, healthy cereal. And I can't get it in Ireland. And I just want to add that to the list of things that I am annoyed about. I'll send you some Magic Spoon. I can make this happen. I can get you some Magic Spoon. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. But that is incredible. You had some. So that was my quick uh, Twitter rant. Where do you want to start? Well, actually, there's been something I've been holding in my back pocket for the show for a couple of weeks that I want to bring out. Oh, let's do it. It connects back to your list of goods you can't get in Ireland. And one of them is our friends over at 8Sleep. Shout out 8Sleep. Great product. I sleep on that. They did a really clever marketing thing that I want to tell you about, Karen. Oh, yeah, do. So I'm on the 8Sleep email list. I get an email. And you know what they've done that is so brilliant? They've set up a simple form to basically have you rate your hotel sleep experience because they're trying to sell eight sleep mattresses into hotels. Oh, that's cool. So you can talk about your hotel sleep experience and they're basically going to take, it's just like a form and they're basically going to take those submissions, go back to the hotels and be like, hey, you've got really low sleep satisfaction. Why don't you put in eight, eight sleep? It's genius. And it's just a brilliant strategy of how they're leveraging their customers to do something you wouldn't expect. Oh, here, if you rate your hotel sleep, you'll be entered in a chance to win an, another eight sleep system. But they're going to go take all that data and use it to get eight sleep into hotels, which is a big mm. channel of distribution if you are in the sleep and mattress industry. It's like the inverse of gathering negative customer reviews on a segment of customers that you want to actually sell the product into. The other cool thing is like you can imagine them having a really cool map of hotels graded by sleep. Mm -hmm. sleep quality like that's kind of cool right oh like where can i go to make sure that i really get a great night's sleep if i'm actually a business person and i want to stay in the city for the night well that that's what you do right and then you denote the eight sleep hotels differently that will be phase two of this i imagine for them and then they start getting traffic and awareness to these hotels and they get leverage right it's like hey if you want people who are using our app we've got hundreds of thousands of people looking at sleep on our hotel map well, you better be eight sleep listed if you want people, our customers to consider you, right? It's a long-term play, but I like the vision of it a lot. It's smart. The other thing, you want to quickly reference the LinkedIn message you got? So ClickUp, who is really out there in the productivity space, grinding, working really hard, they're running a very interesting LinkedIn campaign. I'll read you the message. Hey there, I'm a community coordinator with ClickUp, a project management software. We'd like to pay you for a quick post helping promote our software. We'd like to deliver any professional relevant content to your followers. For example, a list of tips for your industry or field. We'll put that content into a document hosted on our software, and all you have to do is share the link. So what is ClickUp doing here, Karen? Give everybody the breakdown of what is interesting about that LinkedIn message. Yeah. So what ClickUp is trying to do is build the flywheel notion of actually incentivizing people to interact with the product through the mechanism of content. And it's actually quite smart if you have a front-facing product to actually find really great use cases and then promote the product through the use case itself. Like if I can get all of these people using the product to do something and you're not going there to see the product, you're going there to see the stuff that they have created, but it actually exposes you to the product. It actually is a really nice way to start to get some distribution for your product. Kieran, it's a great example of a problem that goes well beyond software companies. I know everybody listening to this show is not just in a software company. It's a problem you and I talk a lot about offline called the empty box problem. Right. It's like you have this product, this service, this offering, and it's kind of not that valuable until there's 
information or an experience of value in that kind of infrastructure. And that's exactly what ClickUp is facing, right? So you have this great project management software, but until they actually get a critical mass of really useful content to showcase all the different use cases that people can discover and decide, hey, I want to do that same thing in this product, it kind of is hard to understand and hard to explain. And so fixing the empty box problem, whether you're a manufacturer, whether you're a technology business, whether you're anywhere in between, is a core way to communicate the value of your product by showing and not telling. Right. The OG of this was actually uh, PayPal. Mm -hmm. When PayPal first launched, they actually give everyone $25 to give to their friends if they create a new account. And so you would immediately go in and see you have that money and you can interact with it and do things with it. I think at some point that was driving 20% of their signups. It was driving a significant portion of their signups. It cost them a lot of money to do mm. that. But it was a great way, again, to get people exposed to the product through actual usage. That's cool. I want to see if you want to figure out how to save Netflix through an ads model. You want me to give you the quick lowdown here? Yeah, please, please. I don't know if I can save Netflix, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try my best. Well, so like Netflix losing 2 million subscribers maybe over the next two to three years. That's what they come out with. Obviously, their stock hit a little bit of a rough patch because of that. Okay, so what are they going to do? They're going to try to better monetize their product by having some sort of freemium tier with an ads business. And so Spotify are a really good example of a company who have done that. They generate about 8 to 10 billion revenue a year. About 10% of that comes from their freemium business with an ads business. Spotify has 209 million active free users. Netflix has total 222 million subscribers. And so what I wanted to quickly do was maybe go back and forth and riff a little bit on how they should think about their challenges they'll have in building an ads platform, because I think it's applicable to marketers in terms of how they think about ads in general. I had a couple of points. The hard thing for Netflix will be the hard thing about paid advertising in general, which is you have to find this unique center point between motivation and friction. You need someone to be motivated and in action for the ad to be relevant. Like it has to be somewhere contextual to them doing something, but it has to not cause so much friction that it just kills that model. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to be useful. They're not going to want to use it. So the ads have to be in a valuable area, but not cause a bunch of friction and people will just leave the freemium platform. Now, here's the thing I would love to touch upon and get your two cents. I saw a lot of people saying, hey, they have to make sure that these ads are not irritating. They have to make sure that these ads are somewhat additive to the customer experience. And I think that is totally wrong. <laughs> it's totally the opposite thing that you were trying to do with a freemium ads model, right? Ads are meant to be irritating in your freemium plan. That means that you will want to get rid of them, right? So it doesn't mean that they're not valuable. Most ads are not relevant to most people, but they are relevant to a small portion. But like, let's take the example of YouTube. Mm -hmm. One of the most irritating free versions of, I think, any product in my eyes. I hate the free version of YouTube. Why? Because it's irritating to have all of those ads. And that's why a percentage of people will upgrade, but they still make a ton of money on that ad revenue. My advice to Netflix would be your ads are meant to be irritating. Don't overthink it in terms of like, how do I make this much more contextual? It should be somewhat basic. I think somewhat like, hey, a couple of options for everyone and I think that's probably the best thing that they can do to start to monetize that free tier. Do I think that's going to save them? I think the streaming wars are going to be difficult on all companies in that space. Kieran, it's not going to surprise you. But I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I don't want to go to the ad stuff just yet. 
I want to go to the crux of the business strategy first. You just acknowledge the streaming wars. What's happening is massive competition in streaming. And there are a few different strategies in streaming. There's the freemium strategy that Hulu runs, which is kind of what you just talked about uh, Netflix considering moving to. There is live content focused streaming that ESPN Plus and other folks are doing. There is the user generated content model that YouTube is doing. Mm, yep. I think if I asked you to pick one streamer to, to be long-term, it would be YouTube. It would be YouTube. They've got the premium subscription. They've got the freemium model. The targeting on the ads in the freemium model is amazing. Right. You know, like, look, we've run at HubSpot. We've run ads on Hulu. We've run ads on YouTube and other digital streamers, right? The targeting on YouTube is way better. And so subsequently, the results are way better. And so Netflix, they do have the infrastructure to potentially get the targeting on par with YouTube because they're great at data and they're really great at technology. But that's what they would have to do to make that freemium ad platform actually work. I would go the other way, Kieran. My radical advice for saving Netflix is I would go freemium, but I would go user-generated content. I would try to go more head-to-head with YouTube. Netflix's Achilles heel is that they have to keep raising prices for two reasons, increase competition and increase cost of production. Right. And I don't think you can solve only one of those. And there's only one player out there who doesn't have that same cost of production concern, and that's YouTube because so much of their content is from creators. Netflix, going right back to our kind of polarized thinking, in the early days, they had to overspend on production because they weren't credible in the space. People thought of movies and traditional television as the place to get that entertainment. And so they had to show people that, wow, there's high quality entertainment on Netflix. They've succeeded in that. Now they have to go to the other side. Now they have to show people that there is depth and really niche, interesting content that they can only get on Netflix and that the best up and coming creators are on Netflix, not on YouTube. Agree? Disagree? What do you think? I agree that YouTube is the company I would go along on. I agree that their reason I would do that is because YouTube's freemium model is much better than Netflix's model because it's user generated content. I think Netflix stands no chance of being able to replicate that because YouTube is ubiquitous with that type of content. I think it's very hard to usurp. You know, the the ideal thing for Netflix would, would be if they could scoop up something like TikTok, but TikTok might be scooping up Netflix with current growth trajectories. Um, <laughs> and if you look at like Quibi, did you pay attention to Quibi when they first came out? Yeah, they just completely died in that kind of short form Netflix competition. Right. I think they saw what you saw on YouTube mm-hmm. in terms of like the short form content. Yeah. And then they completely misread that and paired it with Hollywood style production. Correct. And that's why they raised 1.7 billion, but flamed out in seven months. And you look at what's happening in the CNN plus launch yep. $300 million close in 30 days time. I think it's like $9 million a day for how long that's going to be open for. It's a really tough, tough space to find user retention right now because there's a couple of platforms like TikTok, YouTube that are dominating. Uh, Kieran, I would bring up one other point before we move on in the next story here. Sometimes shouldn't we just like let logic prevail? Maybe Netflix needs to do all this. There's increased competition, everything. I get that. But at the same time, we've just been in a pandemic. Maybe people want to go outside. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they just want to like do some different things. Maybe they've watched all the stuff. There's no more stuff to watch. Right. And like a year from now, they'll be like, cool, you know, like I want to I want to come back. 
But when you're a marketer, you have to understand the zeitgeist. You have to understand society. And I think there is a big demand in the world and in society right now to just be with each other, to do new things, to have experience, to be more experience-focused than consumption-focused. And if you do that, you have to understand there are businesses like Netflix, which are consumption-focused. They're going to take a short-term hit. It's nothing they did. It's just how the market's swinging. The other thing that I will leave on for us marketers, what can we learn from the likes of Quibi and CNN Plus? One of the things I would just stress, and I'm not saying they could have done this, but it just did remind me of how important it is to be great at running minimal viable tests. Mm -hmm. Minimal viable tests are the way that you iterate towards something large in terms of a risk, a bet that you want to make. And the purpose of a minimal viable test is to try to get the maximum amount of data and research by expending the least amount of resources. So, you know, example for Quibi is how could they have launched a couple of short-form shows, did some partnerships to promote those shows, and look to see what the uptake was in people consuming those shows. Because one of the assumptions that they got completely wrong was this should be a mobile-only platform. And now timing was not on their side because they did that during the pandemic, just when it started. And obviously people gravitated towards phone to desktop, but they could have at least experimented with a couple of shows only on mobile distributed through partners and look to see how many people signed up what with the conversion rate or the lifetime values before deciding to raise 1.7 billion and thinking this is a good idea. I think it's a great reminder is what people mistake in terms of minimal viable tests is like, oh, well, I turn the button green or orange. And what's my upside in conversion? Minimal viable tests are a mechanism to get you data and research to make bigger bets with more conviction. It's to make sure you're not too in love with your idea. Yes, I like that, actually. That's the biggest problem is it's easy to fall head over heels in love, (laughs) send roses, flowers, the whole nine yards to your idea. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it. The idea is just like, hey, it's a good idea. It's a a beautiful idea, but it's, it's not worth all that attention. Right. All right, I got one more thing for you, Kieran, before we go to our our main segment, which, by the way, I could not be more excited about the game we're about to play. The listeners don't even know. We haven't told people. No, we've kept it under the radar. So just so you know, we're going to talk about one more story, and then we are going to play the most interesting marketing podcast game in history. Just letting you know. (laughs) Uh, And that's not hyperbole. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) Kieran, did you see Synthesis School? No, I did not. Okay. One of the themes we talk about on this show is learning. And how you learn, how you learn to be a better marketer, how you learn to develop skills, change habits. Well, it's a very interesting company that raised $12 million from Balaji, who's a very smart entrepreneur and thinker, as well as Amaj, who's the CEO and founder of Replit, which is another amazing, fast-growing company that's doing amazing things, bringing the next generation of web developers and coders online. And so Synthesis School was founded by the person who had a really interesting job. And you know what his job was? It was to build the school at SpaceX for Elon's kids. Oh, wow. And so they wanted to build a completely different school than the traditional school environment because their thesis was that traditional school environment doesn't solve anybody and it especially underserves the best and brightest of the population. And they've created a completely different model. And their whole thing is they want to create super collaborators, young people who not just learn, but learn to work together, learn to collaborate, learn to build and accomplish goals together. And if you are now 6 to 14 in the world, you can apply to join Synthesis School online, and it's online collaborative learning through games and activities. And like, if you watch the trailer, it's pretty amazing. And 
you know, you have these two disruptive entrepreneurs who don't lead funding rounds, leading the funding round for this this business. And they're doing it because they think it could long term replace traditional education, which is a wild, wild thing to think about. If you're listening out there, you're like, why the heck are they talking about this? They're talking about this because education as we know it is going to change dramatically. And if you are a marketer out there, your business out there who's just doing fact sheet based education, hour long video tutorials, that kind of stuff. The game is changing quickly and that the businesses who adapt to meet the educational needs of their community and of their customers are going to win long term. So that's my take on education and that's my take on synthesis. What what do you think, Kieran? Did Elon Musk have someone build a school just for his kids at, at space? Is that what you mean? Just for his kids? You know, that's right. How many kids does he have? One? He has like 12 kids. What? <laughs> <laughs> he has 12 kids? Seven children. Seven. Oh right, I did not know that. I knew it was a very I knew it was a very high number. I miscounted on on 12. Elon Musk has 7 children. And yes, and one of the things he wanted to do was he wanted them to have a different educational experience. And so he brought somebody in to basically do a lab, like an education lab at SpaceX, and all of those findings basically turned into the approach that the startup is taking. Man, every Elon company is a bet the world company. I feel like he should just do everyone uh, a little favor and like open a e-com site selling like t-shirts as well. <laughs> That's phenomenal. It's an important lesson, right? That if you're going to do something, it needs to matter. It needs to matter. It needs to have a really big impact. And it doesn't have to be in entrepreneurship. It could be in your day-to-day work. It could be how you condition yourself as a human. It could be how you learn, any of those things. Take the time to do something that matters. All right, cool. Should we get into double down, table stakes, and kill? Yes. Would you like to explain this, or do you want me to explain this? You explain, and then I'll make sure that I've got the right selection of things for you. Okay. So for everybody listening, we're going to play a game. It is a twist on a game people are probably familiar with out there. We're playing a marketing version. We have three options. You have double down, which means, hey, I'm going to invest twice as much as I'm investing now in this strategy. You have table stakes, which is like, hey... I'm going to keep it running, but it's not something I'm really going to invest hard in for the future. And you have kill, which means I'm going to stop doing this completely. And the goal is we're going to give each other three things the other person doesn't know, three different aspects of marketing, marketing strategies. And we have to bucket those three things into those three buckets. And it could be really painful, right? Because we are basically forcing choices and forcing rationale around these choices. And you're probably going to get mad at us because we're probably going to make some controversial choices. And that's what I hope. I hope we have a great debate, a great discussion. And I think of this as like a very interesting heuristic of like how you would focus your strategy. Like you could do this with your team right now, right? Kira and I are going to do it for fun, for entertainment on the internet, but you could do it as a, as a learning exercise too. So with that being said, welcome to our first ever round of Double Down Table Stakes and Kill. <laughs> Let's go. This is going to be brutal. I'm actually slightly sweating about this because I don't know what I'm, what you have and what I'm going to put in the kill bucket. Let me start off with giving you some options because I actually have four categories. That's that's how deep I went. I have Ooh. categories that you can pick from and then I'll give you the three options in that category. Love it. So I want to like apologize on air for making you have to make these choices because they're going to be really hard. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's do this. You can pick marketing leadership. You can pick current go-to-markets, you can pick marketing strategy, or you can pick future growth opportunities. Oh, I'll pick current go-to-markets for 1,000, Alex. Let's go. All right, you have three options. Double down, table stakes, kill. It's your traditional go-to-markets that are prevalent across 
the industry today. You have sales-led, you have marketing-led, you have product-led. Woo! All right. Giddy up. So we're talking about product-led go-to-markets. We're going to assume product-led growth and where you have a, a product that is the first touch point of the customer. You have marketing-led where you're marketing and your content, your information is the first touch point of the customer. And then you've got sales-led where sales is the first touch point of the customer. I'm going to assume in all of these, Kieran, that there's still marketing and sales and product work happening in all three. It's just what you're leading with. It's just what you're leading with. Exactly. Okay. I would double down on product. Product-led growth would be my double down. I would table stakes marketing and I would kill sales-led. I thought you were going to put them in that word. <laughs> do you want, you want my rationale? I, I want your rationale. Why don't you do your rationale starting with sales? Because that's probably going to be the most controversial. Yeah, there are a lot of salespeople pissed at me right now. Um, it's not that sales is not critically important because it is which is why I had the qualifier, which, you know, all these things are still happening. We're talking about the kind of the first engagement with somebody, right? I think sales job is to have the last mile engagement more than the first mile engagement. So that's why I killed sales in this. I think sales is amazing at getting somebody who has awareness, has consideration and everything already over the line to adopt a product. And I think that is their job. But I don't think they're the right people to open, partially because their emails get ignored, their phone calls get ignored. It's not for their lack of good effort and trying. It's just society has evolved to tune out salespeople much more than they have product experiences and marketers. Every great marketing strategy is an accelerant of consumer behavior and consumer behavior changes over time. I think you've said five to seven years. I agree with that. And it's just becoming more common that people want to do things for themselves. Like that's yeah. actually one of the things that happened with the internet is we want to educate ourselves. We want to learn about products ourselves. We want to use the products ourselves. And we want someone to interact with us once we have knowledge on that thing. And I think that's the way I would have stack ranked them. Well, yeah. So, so Kieran, I think you make a really good point around doing things yourself. There's lots of ways you could rationalize the listing I just made. The initial rationalization in my head, which I think is the most important one, is just the impatience ranking. Mm. product, I get into it right away. It's the fastest time to value the, uh, the least patience I have to have. Marketing's the second uh, least amount of patience I have to have. And sales, I got to wait for a human to be ready to engage with me. So I have to have a lot more patience and I can't get distracted or moved on to the next thing. So I really put those in the order of immediacy to the customer more than anything else. All right. Okay. We mapped. Why don't you go? Let's go. Let's go. We mapped there. We matched there. I didn't do the categories like you did, but I feel like I should now. Would you like marketing strategy, leadership, or marketing tactics? I will go marketing strategy for the bonus prize. Marketing strategy. Okay, Kieran, I, I've got some hard choices for you to make here. You ready? Let's go. Ooh, I'm trying to decide which one I want to give you. Well, they're both really good. Um, all right, <laughs> I'm going to give you the hardest one. Media, SEO, and conversion rate optimization. Go. <laughs> all right. <laughs> got you. Okay, I've got it. Apologies to all of my team because I've lots of teams across <laughs> these. I've uh, got lots of people across these teams. All right. I will go kill conversion rate optimization. Ooh. Table stakes, SEO. Ooh. Double down on media. Please tell our listeners why you picked that very controversial order. I've stack ranked them in terms of riskier, but bigger payback. Magnitude, upside. You rank them on potential upside. So the risk is higher. The potential upside is higher. So media, I think if you can differentiate yourself 
on media, you have a potential to build a true world-class brand, something that is very hard to disrupt. I posted, this is a little, you know, nod to ourselves, but I posted a graphic earlier on because we're looking for someone to lead our blogs. And I was showing that the web traffic from our blogs get more traffic than most other business publication, Inc., entrepreneur.com, these kind of sites. And I think if you can truly build something like that, it's hard for anyone else to disrupt it. SEO is becoming commoditized. Like we have a world-class SEO team, but it really is becoming table stakes because Google is continuing to shrink the amount of the real estate that is on Google. I went through that in a previous pod on desktop, lots more no clicks on mobile that is growing. So I think more and more SEO is becoming harder to actually build something massive in or long-term it will be harder to build something massive in. And then conversion rate optimization is a good thing to do, but it's like iterative gains, right? It's mm -hmm. just iteration and more smaller gains than something like media. And so again, that's how I would term them. I'm not saying that any of them are bad things to do, but that's how I have ranked Jared is so afraid that his team and the and Twitter and the internet are going to troll him for his rankings. Stand by him, Kieran. Stand by them. I, oh, look, the fact that I didn't put SEO top, I started my career in search. I know that market. I know those people in that. I'm going to get I'm going to get killed on Twitter. You're to you're totally going to get killed on Twitter. I might help facilitate the killing. All right, where do you want to go next? Uh, give me marketing leadership. Leadership for 200, Alex. All right. This is actually the worst one. I know it is. That's why I picked it. I wanted to make sure that we would cover it. <laughs> okay. I don't know how you're going to do this. <laughs> Hiring, retaining, coaching. Oh, I like it. I like that you kept it simple. All right. So we have hiring, retaining, coaching. Okay. I'm going to... <laughs> This is, this is going to be controversial. I'm going to double down in coaching. Oh, I didn't think you would go there. I'm going to table stakes in retention, and I'm going to kill hiring. Oh, I love it. This is like literally the opposite of what I was thinking. Let's go. Let's do this. Why the hell would you kill hiring? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a first principles person, and one of the things that I believe is that if you're going to make a big, big, massive change in something, it takes a while. Big change does not happen overnight. And so if I'm just churning through people on a team, I'm never going to have the continuity to make a meaningful change in the world. And so why am I doing this to begin with if I can't make a meaningful change? Mm. Get the hell out. You know, like, I'm sorry, but like, if I can't make a big, big impact, I don't want to do it. And so I have to have people on my team. And I think the number one way that you get to work with people long-term is you coach them, you help them learn, you help them get better every day. And they realize that working with you it's helping them get better, and it's a better option than working anywhere else. And so that's why I went double down on coaching. And then on retention, like I think it's better off to pay, to compensate your existing employees more, to do run, run different programs for your existing employees, help them be as successful and be able to retain more so than it is to like go pay more for some new person and they don't have the context, you're spending six months getting them up to speed, all of those things which is why as much as I love hiring and I love hiring, we're hiring at HubSpot Marketing, please come join the team. I had to kill hiring. That caught me by surprise because one of the things I'll tell our audience, one of the core things that you have drummed into me from our whole experience working together, and I remember this from like day one, is hiring. You just hire the best. Your whole team is brought up that way. It's like hiring is everything. So I actually thought you were going to go hiring the top, but I, I think it makes sense in terms of why you said that. I think... That is a difficult one. What did I have it? I had it something like hiring, coach, and retention. And now I think about it, that would be difficult because 
if you're hiring but not retaining, you're just on a hamster wheel of onboarding people. I know. You're just you're just on a total hamster wheel. And you're spending all your time hiring instead of doing marketing, growth, and business work. So that was a good one. That was a good debate. I, I like I like that one. I'm glad I came in controversial for you on that one. But I think I did a good job rationalizing it. I think it kind of brought you over to my side. I made sense. I didn't think you were going to get me there. I was definitely not thinking you were going to answer it that way. Uh, okay, let's do let's do two more. I want I'll do one of yours, and then I want you to do one of mine because I actually wanted to. I, it's going to be something we're going to debate. And I want to make sure we get to it. All right. I want to get you out of your comfort zone. I want you to prioritize aspects of marketing that you haven't had to deal with much. Okay? Let's go. All right. Event marketing, brand marketing, product marketing. Go. You know I'm going to kill event marketing. (laughs) 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 Yeah. All right. Let me me wrap. Uh, All event marketers listening, he is at SearchBrad on Twitter, and you can please send your criticism to him, not to me. Uh, This is a really... Why did we do this episode? This is actually a terrible idea. <laughs> I, and it was actually both of our idea. We both came up with it. All right. I think I would, um, look, I think the first two are, I, I think are more, are easier to, to go through. I've said multiple times in this show that brand is the a creative edge in the future. I think brand for me is double down. Product marketing, great product position matters, okay. but I think you can be okay with table stakes if you have a great brand. And then event marketing, I would kill because I'm, again, you know this, I am a scale Mm -hmm. person, scalable, scalable, scalable. How do you build something scalable? How do you build exponential growth? And I don't feel that way about events. And so brand for me, how do I differentiate my company in the future? What's going to really matter to me? It's going to be brand product, really important to get great position correct. But I think hard sometimes to be differentiated from competitors. Everyone in technology kind of is position very similar, but brand is the way you can stand out. And event for me, event marketing in general is not a scalable, exponential, scalable tactic. And it's not something that I'm going to win on and be a world-class brand incomparable to competitors just because I run better events. We have a huge event called Invite (laughs) that they are going to, please don't slack me. This is a game. I have to choose something Inbound is awesome. Please come to it in September. <laughs> Please send all of your feedback to at SearchBrad on Twitter or at SearchBrad on Twitter or to Kieran Flanagan on Slack if you're internal to HubSpot. Thank you so much. Kieran, I want, I want to challenge you, you a little bit on this. There's one order to think of these in terms of the opposite of scale is kind of depth of emotion and depth of engagement, you know, and I, I would make the argument that event marketing is the most intimate emotional form of marketing, then brand marketing, then product marketing. So it's a little bit of a disconnect that you're leading with doubling down on brand for the emotion and the storytelling, but you don't want to complement that with the deeper emotional side of event marketing. Why? Because event marketing is restricted by size. They're virtual events. They're They're online events that you could have infinite number of people going to. Not many virtual events have big numbers these days. Like the thing I am getting at is where it's more important to be world-class at versus being on a par with competitors. I think if you have a world-class event experience, whether they're virtual or offline, and a subpar or on average brand experience, which is all the other things in terms of how people think about your brand, I think that you are not going to be as successful as someone who really like nails the brand and maybe has this average event strategy. And so for me, it comes to the size of influence I can have with that emotion. So brand is all encompassing, like how I think about the entire market. How can I drive that emotion to the entire market? Where events is a very small subset 
of the people I want to reach. Make sense? Yeah, I just wanted to make you squirm for a little bit. That was that was, that was good rationale. I just, wanted, I just I just wanted to make you really really work for it. For a <laughs> I feel like I'm being interviewed. I think I'm actually being interviewed like for a job, and I'm failing really badly. And I'm going to get like throat show in the door, and like everyone is going to come running after me with pitchforks. That was kind of the goal of this game. Now I will say that event marketing could be seen as a subset of brand. So in that way, I'm kind of saying it is very important, but it's a subset of brand. <laughs> it's really important. But I want to kill it too. No, <laughs> stop! Stop your hedging. Stop yeah, your hedging. Okay. Okay. Stop. Well, Kip doesn't even want to hire anyone. All right. All right. Kip is a leader for a <laughs> fa- fast growth company. He doesn't want to hire anyone. <laughs> all right. All right. So we should both do this one because I think we're gonna I, let's both do this. So just you stack them. I'll stack them, and then we'll talk about the context. This is the last one for everybody listening. So we're gonna go big. The biggest opportunities for future growth. We we talk a lot about like where can we get future opportunities for growth. How are you going to be disruptive in the future? So. I had three, and you mentioned a couple of them already. You didn't mention one, which is community. Let's encompass Web3 in that, because that's inherently, uh, I think, how we think about that. Media and AI. Mm, okay, so we're, we are doubling down table stakes and killing community, media content creation, and then AI. All right, I got, I got it. Where, where do you want to go? I've got my stack rank. I'll, I'll stack rank them, and then you stack rank them, because I, I bet you we're not the same. So I'm going to go double down media. I'm going to go table stakes AI. And I'm going to go kill community. Whoa. Are you trying to get banned <laughs> from Twitter? Are you trying to have people no longer speak to you? Uh, I'll give you my order. I'm doubling down on community. I knew you were, but... I'm table stakes media. And I'm killing AI. Okay. All right. You want to start with the kills? I'll give you why I'm killing community and you can tell me why you're killing AI. Why would you kill AI? Like, come on. Uh, you, well, yeah, well, we, let's talk about community because you're killing it. I'm doubling down. Where are you at? Let me tell you why community is not a growth strategy for most companies. Why most companies are wrong about community being a community-led growth strategy. Product-led growth made sense because product-led growth is your product intrinsically is your go-to-market. You acquire people in through your product, you onboard people to your product, and you upgrade them into a touchless customer, like through touchless. Now that makes sense. Like that's a pretty linear path that I am acquiring people all within the product. And I can do things that drive mass amounts of scale. I keep hearing community-led growth. And that means community is intrinsically, is your core go-to-market like across acquisition, onboarding, upgrading, retaining. Most successful communities are going to be successful because we're decoupling these large platforms and we are finding niche pockets of areas to build communities around where people have these kind of real emotional connections to knowledge they want to learn or hobbies or interests. And you want to create something that is small. Communities work better when they are small. I can tell you from most people I've talked to, when they get over a thousand people, they become really hard to manage. They become really disjointed. The content becomes much, much worse. Let's say a thousand people then is your like upper end range of what you should aim for. Like I get a thousand people, I've got a great community. How are you going to grow a large business from having that thousand people in a community? Like trying to upgrade them into free users, trying to spin the flywheel of demand for your product. And again, I'm not talking about community for customers. I'm talking about community as a way to actually grow your business. You're not going to be able to grow a community large enough to be able to get enough pull through into people going then on to sign up to your products and sign up to your services for it to be meaningful to you. I am killing community because most businesses will fail at making community 
a core part of how they acquire products and services. Again, not for your customers, but actually how they drive demand for their products or services. That is my pitch. At me at search, Brad. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> I think our ability to manage communities at scale is going to increase by orders of magnitudes through better tooling, better incentives. Everything you said is a fair retort for today. But you know what? Last time I checked, we weren't doing this for strategies for today. It was about future growth strategies and what was happening in the future. And I think this is going to change dramatically in the future. And I think communities are going to be part of a winner-take-all market strategy. Yes, exactly. If you believe that, then they're going to be imperative to grow. I'm telling you there's going to be thousands of communities across all these industries. And you're not going to be able to kill them. You're going to have to grow them. And you're also missing the whole math. If you have a thousand person community, but the referral rate on that is 10 to 15 to one, then you get 10, 15,000 customers. You don't get 10 to 15 referrals per person. Not under today's community metrics and community incentives. But what happens if those thousand people have a direct incentive of business growth and are out there working and advocating and selling for you? What happens then? I think those conversion rates change dramatically. I think it is very hard to imagine a world. How many times have you opened up your Discord since you've been on Web3 and been faced with hundreds of messages from different channels? How many of those have you gone into? We have only room for so many communities in our life. The Discord problem is not a too many communities problem. It's a spam problem. But it's a reflection of how many communities you have time for in your life. If every brand is marketing a community to you, how many can you really be part of? You're only going to be a part of one or two. Right. But the last I checked, there are like 300 million people in America and 8 billion people in the world, dude. I knew you disagree. I think it's a good debate. We will agree to disagree, ladies and gentlemen out well, there. Well, look, we're agreeing to disagree in the guise of this quiz show. I do believe community. You know I believe community. <laughs> I love that we're yelling at each other and mad at each other. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because it's just a completely like fictionalized construct. You're killing AI, which is like the yeah. future of... I'm killing AI. Okay, well, like explain to Sam Altman why you're killing OpenAI. I mean, he's not going to be happy about that. He's going to be pretty pissed. No, I'm, I think OpenAI is going to be amazing. You're killing it. I think it's a tool strategy, not a growth strategy. You will use AI tools to improve any growth strategy that you have, sure. But I don't think a marketer is going to need to have an AI strategy. I think AI is just going to make targeting, outreach, engagement, content creation, all those things easier and faster. You're going to be able to better serve your community with AI. I don't think you need an AI strategy. End of story. I'm trying to figure out if that is fair or unfair, the way you answer that comparable to the way I had to answer community. Because <laughs> you've not said it's not important, but you've just said <laughs> they don't need an AI strategy. I'm sorry. I don't think any, you want me to have to say I don't think I don't think AI as a standalone marketing strategy is important, Kieran. How about okay, that? Okay, well, I want to go back and say I think community as a standalone marketing strategy. <laughs> I'm trying to get myself out of a hole or at least take you in the hole with me. I don't want to be in the hole all by myself. No, no. <laughs> Where the community people, the event people hitting me up in Slack. Don't bring me into your shoddy logic. It is your shoddy logic, not mine. I thought it was good logic. All right. I think I'm really, I think I'm, I'm really uh, nervous about Can we cut some of this out? Dead All right. Um, <laughs> no. I think we can cut no. some of this out. Leave it in. Producer Darren is leaving it in. Look. I want to say, can I just say one thing? I am an advisor for some companies on their community strategy. <laughs> I believe this is part of the quiz show. Please <laughs> know that I believe community. Is, I'm making a point. That's, that's why you could have it in the kill bucket. I do want to say... He just, does, he just doesn't think you're as important as AI and other things. Don't worry. I just believe for most companies, it's not going to be the growth strategy they believe it's going to be. But I do believe in winner takes all. I do believe winner takes all. There's going to be some companies that really excel. Are we done? <laughs>
All right. So Kieran is now terrified of the public response to this segment. So please, please add us on Twitter, reach out to us. But more importantly, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell us if you agree or disagree with us on any of these points. And should we do? Should we do double down table stakes and kill again? No. Should we bring it back? Should it be a reoccurring segment of the show no. or is it a one-time situation? I'm team bring it back. Kieran is dreading bringing it back. But if you have the overwhelming comments that we should bring it back, we will bring it back. N- next time we'll do it with a third person and we'll make them get involved too. Oh, let's do that. Let's get someone else in the hole and make them feel awful and squirming. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll force somebody else to, to, to pin down to bad opinions on everything, right? All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining this episode of Marketing Against the Grain. I'm Kip Bodner. We're here, as always, with the chess master himself, Kieran Flanagan. And until next time, have a good week.